What is up, what is up, what is up? Welcome to the Mitch Davis Show. I'm your host, Mitch Davis, founder of the MitchDavisShow.com, podcast host of the Mitch Davis Show. You can follow me on Twitter, MitchDavis underscore eight, Facebook and Instagram by simply typing in the Mitch Davis Show. And also always check out the website at themitchdavisshow.com. Again, I'm your host. Follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. On today's podcast on Friday, December 1st, we're going to be joined by the one and only Connor O'Gara from SaturdayDownSouth.com and the Saturday Down South podcast as well. Connor is one of the greatest guys in the media business. Always a true treat to talk SEC football and SEC basketball with Connor O'Gara. So look forward to welcoming him on the show momentarily. Again, you're listening to the Mitch Davis Show podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Davis, founder of the Mitch Davis Show.com. Want to welcome my uh, my friend and uh, now a regular to the Mitch Davis Show. I can't even believe it. Connor O'Gara, welcome on back on the Mitch Davis Show. How you doing? Uh, ready for the SEC championship? Yeah, ready, man. I uh, appreciate you having me. It's a, it's a fun time of year. There's so much stuff going on. Uh, it's kind of crazy to think that we are already at this point. We get to the SEC championship, you kind of just black out. I always make the joke that fall goes at one and a half speed. I think this year went at like three times speed. It has been a wild, fast fall. Haven't gotten the chaos yet, but it's uh, it's a very fun time of year for us in this business. So let's talk about the SEC championship. We're going to talk about playoff. We're going to talk about all this stuff. But today we heard uh, from both coaches, Coach Saban and Coach Kirby Smart, what are your predictions for the game, and what are your takeaways from the press conference today from both coaches? How about Saban coming out and saying, uh, yeah, I think the SEC champ, 12-1, that that team deserves to make it to the college football playoff. I wonder who he's talking about. Uh, yeah, of course. And hearing some of the politicking, Kirby's not going to get into that because when you're top dog, that's really not your place. You don't have to yet. You're the one that's that's running the show. Now, if the, the situations change and Georgia's sitting there without a conference championship on Sunday morning, you can bet where and when Kirby Smart will be. And that's on ESPN before that ranking show. Not that that'll matter, but still, you get the point. And I, I think it's interesting to see these these teams, these programs at this stage where Kirby is no doubt the king of college football right now. And if he three-peats for the first time since 1936 Minnesota with the great Ed Widseth led by Bernie Bierman, I think a lot of people will say that's an untouchable feat and you are a college football legend forever. But I, I think that we also, we also forget, despite how great this Georgia run has been, the last thing in front of him, in my opinion, is beating Nick Saban in Atlanta a place that he hasn't lost since 2008 SEC championship against Tim Tebow. I mean, that that is a crazy run of success over the course of 15 years. And we we associate the SEC and this era of the SEC with Atlanta. So to go in there and beat Nick Saban in Atlanta for the first time, uh, it, it would be no small feat, I think, for Kirby Smart, despite the fact that he's done everything that there is to do in the sport. Before we get into the matchup itself, or is it safe to say whoever wins on Saturday – is the Nash champion pretty much uh, heading into the playoffs? <laughs> you know, I don't think that's fair to to what Oregon and, and Michigan have done. And, you know, I, I still think that there is a, a great case to be made. But, you know, think about it from, from this standpoint. The anti-SEC crowd doesn't want to hear this. And, look, I grew up in the Big Ten. I, I lived the vast majority of my life in the Midwest, and I, I've seen the light covering this conference 16 of the last 17 SEC champs have gone on to play for a national championship. And the only one that didn't was 2014 Alabama, who 
made it to the college football playoff, but just lost to Ohio State in the semifinals. So that's not a coincidence. And there's a reason why the SEC championship is held in such a high regard, because it does feel like the team that comes out of that, that's the new favorite for a national championship. And to me, whoever wins this game will have, in my opinion, the most ammo to win a national championship. Maybe Alabama is starting to get some of those team of destiny vibes after just a wild fourth and 31 conversion that we'll be talking about for decades on the planes there. But I do think that whoever comes out of this game should feel like the favorite, whether or not the rest of college football acknowledges that might be a little bit of a different story. You mentioned the uh, fourth and 31. I, before we get into the matchup, I do want to ask you that. Has that replaced the kick six in your eyes as kind of the legacy moment of the Iron Bowl, or is the kick six still up there? Kick six still stands alone, in my opinion, just because of what was on the line. I mean, Bam, Bamba was trying to three-peat and, and trying to to do this thing that you know we had just so rarely seen four titles in five years. And the fact that Auburn's still at national championship hopes – by a wing and a prayer, I mean, literally the prayer at Jordan-Hare a couple of weeks earlier, uh, to think about the stakes and what that moment meant and, and how dramatic that was, uh, that, that, that'll that never be taken away from Auburn. There's, and I was saying this to my wife the other day, there's just nothing that's going to ever replace that, in, in my opinion. You just cannot create stakes any bigger other than a national championship. And, and even that, I would argue, wouldn't feel quite the same because – it happened on a home field and it happened in a scene that you just have to see to believe. And I remember living in central Nebraska at the time, watching that game, thinking I'm watching a movie right now, a movie that I'm not even sure I would believe the script to. So to me, as great as fourth and 31 was, we're going to have to come up with a better nickname. I know grave digger was the name of the play, but to me, kick six, it stands alone. It will be talking about that one. That'll be in whatever sort of college football time capsule is created. And we'll look back on that one, probably a hundred, years from now looking at this matchup uh, of course Auburn or, I had Auburn in my mind Georgia and Alabama who wins this game and, and what are your takeaways coming into this game I think Georgia wins and I, I think that we're gonna see Alabama give Georgia everything that it can handle with the quarterback run game with Jalen Milrow in the first half and Nick Saban Tommy Reese that staff is going to make Kirby Smart make those adjustments I think they would ideally like to test what it looks like for a, a true freshman linebacker in there and TJ Allen, a guy that's had a lot of great moments and has also had some moments where, you know what, you question kind of what that gap discipline looks like at this stage of his career. But I think they would like to be able to test that area. I don't think they want to roll the dice on this Georgia secondary, which has been so lights out. It's kind of weird to think that both of these teams, as disciplined, as talented as they are, the best path to beat them might actually be running the football. I mean, that's what we've seen when they've been at their worst and when they've had to play in some of these dogfights is that teams can run against them. Peyton Thorne completed five passes last week, and Auburn should have won that football game. So I think that from that standpoint, Alabama can have success. Hopefully, Jace McClellan is healthy and ready to go. It sounds like he's truly questionable. And on the other side, Georgia's got a lot of questionable pieces. They sat four offensive starters against Georgia Tech, and I don't really trust the Kirby Smart injury report for anything. So what's going to happen there? I'd be stunned if Brock Bowers missed this game, but how much do you get from Labakonki? How much do you get from Rara Thomas? And then what does it look like for Tate Ratledge? I think, though, that Georgia has just found a way in these tight games, despite this run of dominance, this run of dominance, unlike any SEC history with a 29-game winning streak, they have found different ways to be able to beat you. And maybe that's Dylan Bell lining up in the backfield and taking a play 38 yards to the house or Kendall Milton, the fully healthy version of him that looked like he could have gotten whatever he wanted against Georgia Tech last week. 
they're just going to find ways. And I love the poise of Carson Beck in this spot, someone who's really matured a lot, as has Jalen Milrow. But I, I just think that Georgia just has too much and I think they find a way instead of being the team and the coach rather that found ways to lose when these teams used to meet on this stage, Kirby has become the opposite and you have all the faith in the world that he's going to be able to find a way to get out of Atlanta with a win. Connor jumping over to scheduling then we're going to talk about the two coaching hires and wrap it up from there. But I want to ask you about the schedule. We saw Chris Lowe's report from ESPN.com. Uh, how surprised were you to see Texas and Texas A&M scheduled on Saturday, November 30th, rather than Thanksgiving? And the Egg Bowl is now supposedly going to be on Saturday. How surprised? And do you think we'll see some changes uh, December 13th when they announce the full schedule? Don't like that. Don't like that. I like my Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving. I like to be uh, nearly an entire packet of Hawaiian rolls deep by the time I'm watching that football game. So that to me is not something I'm particularly fond of, but uh, this is a new era. It's a new era of college football. And maybe this is kind of the, the first way that we usher in this, this new chapter of what Texas and Texas A&M are going to be. I'm excited to have this rivalry back. I admittedly didn't grow up in it. It wasn't my region of the country or anything like that. I don't have a lot of ties to the state of Texas. So it doesn't mean to me what it means for so many other people that can't wait to see this rivalry. But it does feel like this rivalry getting going again is a step in the right direction. And so I don't care when they play. They can play it on a Tuesday in the middle of May for all I care. And there are going to be people that are going to want to watch that game and it's going to be heated as it should be. That's what makes this sport so great. But yeah, I think we're just going to have to adjust our expectations for some of these things. There are things that we've grown up so used to and even just as simple as turning on SEC 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central on a Saturday afternoon and knowing that's not going to be there gary's going to be there but it's going to be on a different for a different conference there are things that we're going to have to adjust our expectations to and the scheduling news as it trickles out it'll be fully out december 13th according to greg sankey that's just something that we're going to have to get used to in this new world we're living in looking at uh i do want to ask you quickly about the transfer portal and we'll jump over to jeff levy and mike elko transfer portal it is wild I, i don't know if you've seen the rumors i haven't been able to confirm it yet but Quinshawn Junkins is supposedly in the transfer portal from Ole Miss. So talk about this transfer portal and it's wacky. And just kind of elaborate on that a little bit. There are going to be a few of these. And I'm not saying that that I know either way on the Judkins thing, uh, TVD on that. There are going to be a few Jordan Addison type cases where everybody looks at it and goes, well, you're not hurting for playing time. You probably have an NIL package at your current school. So what are you what are you really after here? What are you after? And that is just going to be the case for a few of these players. And I'm not saying that that is easy and that fans should just shut up and accept it because it's hard. It's really hard. But at the same time, this is an opportunity for a lot of these guys to say, especially pre-draft, what am I going to do to put myself in the best possible position? There are certain players that you can look at and look at the, the, the three favorites for the Heisman Trophy right now. Three guys who, like you know, Jade Daniels, Bo Nix, and and Michael Penix Jr. Those guys are probably all starting at their their current places. But they said, you know what, I got to look at the landscape of the sport, and I got to figure out what I need to do to keep playing and hopefully play at a high level and write a new chapter in my career. And they have all been able to do that. So it doesn't mean that it's going to work out for everybody. And you know, the numbers tell us that it won't. But yeah, we're going to see some big names, man. I mean, seeing the Juice Wells thing this morning and. And South Carolina fans are just devastated because they're like, that was giving me hope for next year. And 
And all of a sudden, it's like our best player is gone. I mean, they saw Marshawn Lloyd go in the transfer portal. And now, you know, I look at at, at Field Yates' draft board, and, and, and Marshawn Lloyd's the number one running back in this class for Field Yates after going to the other USC. So, I, I mean, it, it, it sucks, and it makes it so hard for a college football fan to feel like the players truly care about their school and their program that they put so much time and effort into. I want to ask you about the two coaching searches. Obviously, we're going to start with Mississippi State. Uh, Jeff Levy, offense coordinator, Oklahoma. How excited are you about this hire from Mississippi State? What do you expect to see out of Levy in year one? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a little bit difficult to get the offensive personnel in there. And, and having the the lack of restrictions in the transfer portal should help. But I, I think it's it'll be a little bit of a challenge to get the, the speed and the personnel that they need to execute that system after going to a more pro-style system with Kevin Barbe and and then obviously the, the shortcomings of that, it was always going to be difficult to transition away from the Mike Leach air raid. So few teams have done that so soon post Mike Leach. And now I, I think that the, my question with Levy is more about what's it going to look like two, three years from now? Because we're seeing in this era of college football where the college football coach has more on their plate than ever. And they're compensated for that. So I'm not trying to say like they deserve pity, but there is so much more to worry about from a roster management standpoint, transfer portal, NIL, year round recruiting calendar, all those different things that I think it's been so difficult for a lot of these offensive minded head coaches to continue to call plays. Jeff Levy said he's going to do that at Mississippi State. A lot of Mississippi State fans are like, yep, that sounds great. Dan Mullen did it at a super high level. Mike Leach did it at a super high level. Those are also two of the best guys to ever do it. And they didn't have to do it for a whole lot during this era of college football that we are about to usher into. So that's kind of the question that I have moving forward. I think as he continues to do other things, what, is his, what does it look like, you know, hiring on the defensive side of the ball? How does he evaluate, you know, position battles? How does he recruit the transfer portal? Things like that are going to determine his level of success. But I like the Mississippi State kind of got back to the basics, even though it was a really tough spot for Zach Garnett, the, the, the position he was put in. But I, I do find myself... Uh, feeling like Levy was was a smart hire and a guy that makes a lot of sense for the identity of the program. All right, jumping over to Texas and this is how we're going to – got a two-part here. First part of this, Mark Stoops, from all reports that I know you and I have probably heard, I mean, he was gone. He was going to College Station. First part of that is what are your takeaways from that? How did, how A&M handled that? How Mark Stoops handled that? And what are the repercussions on the side of Mark Stoops uh, for basically being out the door heading to Texas A&M? Yeah, it's weird because, look, I, I don't think anybody would ever say that Mark Mark Stoops has been disloyal to Kentucky and someone that just wrapped up his 11th season there has had other opportunities seemingly or less. At least it's it has felt like that at, at times. And he wondered about the Florida situation before Billy Napier got the job. He wondered about the Florida State situation before Mike Norvell got the job. I remember getting a call from Florida State after I went on public airwaves and said that Mark Stoops was offered that job. And they're like, no, he wasn't ever offered the job. I'm like, all right, sure, whatever. They were at the finish line, according to Billy Lucci. They were there. And this thing could have easily happened had the public reaction to this hire been oh my God, I can't believe that we just got one of the 15 best coaches in college football. And instead, I don't, I hope at least that for May and M fans, it wasn't strictly Mark Stoops is not good enough for Texas A&M football. Mark Stoops is good enough for Texas A&M football. Mark Stoops is a weird fit for Texas A&M. That's the difference in my opinion and why that move from the jump was kind of head scratching because he only has two recruits at the high school level from the state of Texas during his entire time at Kentucky. And for such a big recruiting ground and for such an important recruiting ground for what it takes to be successful at that job, that that in itself kind of left you scratching your head going, what's 
what's the motivation here? I know that obviously it's a cultural fit and you could say boosters are going to take care of NIL and this and that. You still have to have some say in that state with the high school coaches, especially now with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the SEC. And you're going to have even more SEC programs trying to get their hands on that in-state talent in the Lone Star State. So I wondered about it from that standpoint. But Mark Seuss is a great coach, and he's built a program at a place that, look, I mean, my alma mater, Indiana, is striving to get what Kentucky has right now. And they are just whiffing at every possible solution. We'll wait and see if this latest move uh, ultimately gets in that, but it's just so hard. So I get it from the standpoint of Texas A&M of being like, oh, wait a minute, people are going to think this hire is destined to fail from the jump, but I think they landed on the right guy with Mike Elko. Looking at this Mike Elko hire, kind of similar question to the Jeff Levy. Uh, excitement levels and what do you expect to see out of year one of Mike Elko at Texas A&M? I like Mike Elko a lot. And I was kind of hoping that when this vacancy came open that they would really give him a shot and not have him be the fourth or fifth option a la Dan Mullen at Florida when Scott Strickland made that hire. I think that even if he is widely considered to be the second choice and if Mark Stoops was indeed the first choice or whatever it was, I, I think he can still have so much success there because you, you have to understand College Station and you have to understand kind of how to sell College Station. And I don't know that Jimbo Fisher fully grasped that. Just because you get a blank check doesn't mean that you fully understand that area. You can get in front of a press conference and you can sell anybody. And he sold Mike Elko to leave Notre Dame to come to Texas A&M. And Mike Elko wouldn't have spent four years there if he had hated it. Now, he had a kid that was in high school at the time, kind of wanted to wait and waited for him to be able to go. And he goes and plays baseball at Northwestern, does that whole deal. Um, but Mike Elko was somebody that was so obviously going to be a fit at a power five job when it finally came open and what he did at Duke in two years, it's so impressive. I mean, they had a better record than AM the last two years without him. And I think there was a lot of AM fans feeling like, man, what are we without Mike Elko? So he's going to keep some of that continuity that they desperately need. I like the possibility of saying, hey, you know what? This contract, let's make it really incentive-based. Let's make it based on this 12-team playoff. And I think that's where that's going to be the future where a lot of these teams are going to go. They're going to start with incentives that are about a million bucks just to make the college football playoff and kind of work their way up from there. Lower base pay don't have to have a 10-year contract. And I, I like the terms of that deal for six years, $42 million, seven, $7 million a year in base pay. And you know, if he does well, he's going to get raises there. So I, I like the move all around. It doesn't mean that it's destined to succeed, but I think AM actually approached this in a way that I probably would have, maybe with a little bit of Mark Stoops drama mixed in there. He is Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. Connor, tell them where they can follow you on Twitter and find all of your amazing work as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, at CJ O'Gara on, on the tweets. And uh, yeah, Saturday Down South podcast, we do twice a week, pretty much for the entire year, with the exception of the slow 10 weeks, May through SEC, up until SEC Media Days. And then SaturdayDownSouth.com, I always tell people, if you want a one-stop shop to just waste an afternoon of work, you don't want to be sitting at your desk doing work. You'd rather be reading about college football, college sports, college basketball is going on right now as well. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com. Just bookmark it right now. No paywall or anything like that. Tons and tons of great content. You're going to stay on top of the portal. Any sort of content that's related to the Heisman Trophy, Conference Championship Weekend Playoff, whatever, you name it, we got it. Uh, I always tell people it is such a fantastic website for any college football fan, not just for the SEC. You have been listening to the Mitch Davis Show podcast. I've been your host, Mitch Davis. Founder of the MitchDavisShow.com, podcast host of the Mitch Davis Show 
Follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight, Instagram and Facebook by simply typing in The Mitch Davis Show and the podcast is on Apple, SoundCloud, and wherever else you like to listen to your podcast by simply typing in The Mitch Davis Show. A very special thank you to Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South for joining me to preview the 2023 SEC Football Championship game between the Alabama Crimson Tide and the Georgia Bulldogs. Again, thank you for listening to The Mitch Davis Show podcast.